Well, we have been served uh, so well already this morning, both as we have sung praise to God, as we've worshiped and hearing the various news that's happening uh, in our church family. And it's extremely exciting that we have the opportunity now to hear the word of God taught, to understand it better so that we can go and apply it in our lives. Uh, I just want to include as, as part of talking about having the word of God in front of you, I heard someone share this week as they were speaking um, and he was standing at the back of his congregation as everyone was leaving. And the question and he asked a woman, was like, why don't you bring your Bible with you? And the woman, she, she shared back to him. She said, well, I listen to you, so I don't think that I, I need this in front of me. And he said to this woman, he, he said, well, then I have done a bad job. He said, you have turned to rely on me for your spiritual nourishment, whereas my hope has been that you would instead turn to the scriptures for your nourishment. And so I just want to encourage you that if this is your only spiritual nourishment, if you are a follower of Jesus, to get into God's word. And the reason that here at Church of the City we teach God's word, like we're going to do this morning, is to help you understand it and then go and apply it and read it throughout the week. And so that, because the word of God is also a companion to us. It's God's word spoken to us as we learned over the last number of weeks as we were talking about what the Bible is. Well, this is your first time, as you've already been welcomed. Really happy to have you here. My name is Matt, and I'm the pastor of Teaching and Vision. And today we start sort of a new teaching series or a series of teachings from now until uh, actually to right end of the new year on the last day of this year, December 31st, we're going to be looking at the Psalms. Now, some of you in this room, you're familiar with the Psalms. You maybe hear them read uh, at funerals. Um, they're oftentimes used at funerals. Or maybe some of you uh, turn to them when you're feeling down or downcast. And that is a very good use of the Psalms. As we're going to find out, a third of the Psalms are actually laments. Uh, they're, not praise, they're not praise psalms. They're lamenting psalms, lamenting existence, sometimes lamenting pieces and actions of God, saying, God, why did you do this? Now, the psalms are a collection, if you do not know, of 150 poems that if you are to hold a physical Bible up and you were to go to the middle, you're probably going to land in the psalms. There's 150 of them, and they cover a whole range of emotions. We have love, adoration, sorrow, dependence, fear, pain, Pain, thankfulness, anxiety, and depression, hope, and worship. And when they're all done together, what we find is a way of praise and ultimate worship to God. Now, as these are poems, uh, this next slide I'm going to show you is probably going to remind you of an English class that you took at one point or another. Uh, and in our psalm today, for example, uh, what you can see is I have A, B, C, D. It's because if you were to fold the psalm that we have today in half, you'd actually see uh, the comparison of the theme. So in the first three verses, we see a personal expression from David for salvation. And then in verse 17, we're going to see the personal need of salvation. Now, this is really important for us to understand that this is poetry. And so therefore, included in that poetry are going to be things like simile, metaphor, all of these different things that if you've taken an English class, you'll very much understand. Now, when I study the scriptures, I oftentimes want to know, okay, what were the purpose of the Psalms? And so you ask the question, why and how were the Psalms used? And the Psalms in their original writing were used for the purpose of a vehicle of praise and prayer of God's people. They often sung them together in public gatherings, and the priority was to actually memorize them. 
So if you were a young Jewish person, you would oftentimes have a good collection as the years of your life went on in your formal training of, in Judaism to grow in the teachings and the memorization of the Psalms. It's fascinating for us. We're like, how in the world would you ever do that? But we, many of us, can, can pick it up and read it. Remember, in those days, they didn't necessarily have Bible sitting in front of them. They didn't. And so for them, memorization was a really, really key and important thing. And so they would memorize them, and then they would sing them together. Isn't that really, really neat that these were songs that were sung? So when we turn to the Psalms, we're actually joining in to generations of people that sang the Psalms. Now, a couple of things that we can learn from the Psalms, and this is, this is why I've chosen at this time for us to use the Psalms as our teaching. Number one is that it's a lesson. It's a lesson for us to connect with generations of worshipers connected to the same God and offering praises in all of the facets of life. But then two, it's an invitation for you and I to speak honestly with God. Now, as we were reading the psalm that we are already reading today, you maybe hear some of the verses of particular psalms and you feel a little bit uncomfortable because in your mind you think, you can't say that to God. Now, to illustrate, maybe you've been hanging out with someone who's not a follower of Jesus or somebody that is, and you're conversing with them about life, and they are frustrated with the situation of their life, and they slip a swear word in, right? And then they realize that you're a follower of Jesus, and they're like, oh shoot, I'm sorry, I shouldn't have said that. I've been, as you can imagine, as as a person in pastoral work, I get this a, a lot of the time when I'm hanging out with people that aren't followers of Jesus, and they'll oftentimes, I'll be talking to them, and they're like, oh, I'm so sorry, I shouldn't have said that. Now, some of us, you have to obviously be conscious of like the type of words they're using in the location that they're using. But if I'm sitting in my house with another person or I'm standing on my street or I'm in their home and they're using colorful language and they feel like they need to censor it from me, in some ways, I feel a little bit like, come on now, just be yourself. Have you ever felt that way before? We're like, just be yourself. I'm not asking you to change in this moment. I just want you to be yourself. I want you to speak honestly to me how you speak. I remember growing up and there was this older gentleman in our church and uh, my parents uh, asked us to call him grandpa. So grandpa Richard was his name. And he he used to often say about swearing, he's like, well, if you've thought it, you might as well say it. And once again, you need to be cautious of where you're going to do that. But some of us, if we're honest, don't feel like we can actually be honest with God. And the Psalms is a lesson and an invitation into simple honesty of God, I don't know what you're doing right now. You're crazy, like crazy. And I'm feeling like you're crazy in a really, really bad way right now. I am feeling wrecked by my life. Andre and I, a close friend of ours, just found out um, that her mom, Andre's friend's mom, was just diagnosed with stage four cancer. We prayed with her uh, the other day, and the next day they found this news out. And you're kind of like, God, like, why? What is going on here? What do you say to God in those moments? And if some of us, if we are brutally honest, if we were to examine our prayer lives, or even in the ways that we talk to God, otherwise it probably censor our prayers. Because deep down, maybe we feel like we can't be honest with him, 
or we feel that maybe he can't handle our honesty. If that is you, which is probably all of us, if we're being honest, even if you aren't a follower of Jesus, you're just exploring or someone invited you here, do you feel like you can be honest with God? Now, this being the case of honesty, we're going to look at different things over the next couple of weeks, different themes that come out of the Psalms. And today is the theme of waiting or longing for God to do something when it feels like he's not doing anything at all. And our Psalm begins with, I waited. Uh, Eugene Peterson, in his paraphrase, he goes something on the lines of, I waited and waited and waited. Now, there are some situations that you'll find yourselves in where waiting is somewhat optional. Maybe it's on uh, something like a job, and you have an option between two jobs, and you ask God, you say, okay, God, which one do you want me to take? That's in some ways optional waiting, because you could just decide in the moment, well, I'm going to act. I'm not going to wait, I'm just going to act on something. And these situations are generally a little bit less emotionally involved than our situations where it's forced waiting. And some of us know situations of forced waiting. Maybe it's for a career or a dream job or a university application, right? For the career, it's like, when am I going to move to the next level? I feel like I've been here long enough. They should be honoring me and my obedience in this career. Maybe it's a dream job. You just feel like, man, I've put in my time. It's time for my dream job. Millennials, they think that right away coming out of university. I know that's a bit of a stereotype, but I think you get my drift. Or university application. You apply, you're waiting, you're waiting. Other friends have heard. You haven't. This is a situation of forced waiting. Or how about finances? It's been a struggle since what seems like the very beginning. And you're like, I just need a break. I can't get ahead. God, what are you doing? I can't afford to put food on my table. What are you doing? Maybe for you, it's a sinful habit or a temptation that you want to be removed from your life. And you've gone back to God over and over and over. And you've said, take it away. I don't want this anymore. Or maybe for you, it's a relationship. Maybe you always imagined that by the time you reached a certain age, you would have a certain relationship. And that's not been the case. And people keep saying, well, maybe you have the gift of singleness. And you're like, just shut up. <laughs> Leave me alone. Or maybe it's a relationship. Or maybe you're in a relationship and you know the relationship isn't healthy. And you're waiting on God to fix the relationship. Or you feel like, God, one day my husband, he'll just get his act together. He'll choose to be a follower of Jesus. But why isn't he right now? That would really help the health of our family. Maybe it's a diagnosis. Maybe it's a physical pain that you have. And you're asking, where, what is the root of this pain? Maybe you're waiting like our friend was for an official diagnosis on some symptoms. Or maybe it's healing and recovery. You've been praying that God would heal, and he hasn't. Or maybe it's a pregnancy. You see all of your friends having kids, and you go, God, why not us? We're doing it a lot. We're doing it without protection. Why? Because it seems to be working for all of our friends. Now, as I've been sharing some of these examples, something has probably come out. 
And it's the truth that no matter who you are, waiting is universal. Whether it's an optional wait or a forced wait, waiting for all of us is going to be a universal reality. There will always come a point in every single one of our lives in which you and I are required to wait. So then the question is, how do you do when you're waiting? And this is where Psalm 40 invites us. The psalm can actually be broken into two sections. We have verses 1 to 10, which is past deliverance. It's the section on the very beginning. And then in the second half, we have David's expression of a current need for deliverance. Now, this is really, really important. Because in this psalm, he's being honest enough to say, I waited patiently for the Lord in the past, but here I am in verse 11, and I'm waiting now. And I need you to do something now like you have in the past, but please show me yet again that you're present, that you're active, and that I can trust you. So the psalm is helpful. The psalm is honest. Now what you're going to find about some psalms is that they're actually written out of particular situations. And one of the greatest ways that I think you can actually read the Bible, if you do reading the Bible in a year, for example, is reading it chronologically. And so what a chronological Bible reading plan will do is it will oftentimes bring you through the narrative, and then if it's a psalm that's been expressed afterwards, it'll take you right to that psalm. And so what's amazing about reading the Psalms of David and the life of David is that you read the life of David of what he's experiencing and the day-to-day stuff of life, and then you go to the psalm that he wrote as a reflection. So what is the psalm that David is writing out of Psalm 40? So if you have your Bibles, go with me to to 1 Samuel 30. 1 Samuel 30 reads this. Now when David and his men came to Ziklag on the third day, the Amalekites had made a raid against the Negeb and against Ziklag. They had overcome Ziklag and burned it with fire and taken captive the women and all who were in it, both small and great. They killed no one but carried them off and went their way. And when David and his men came to the city, they found it burned with fire and their wives and sons and daughters taken captive. Then David and the people who were with him raised their voices and wept until they had no more strength to weep. You ever been there? David's two wives also had been taken captive, Ahinoam of Jezreel and Abigail, the widow of Nabal of Carmel. And David was greatly distressed for the people spoke of stoning him because of all the people were bitter in soul, each for his sons and daughters. But then we read this, but David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. So what's the situation? The city in which David is from has been destroyed. And David's wives and children have been taken captive. Now in that situation, amongst this point in history, even at this point in history, in different places of the world, there's a side of you that almost wishes that they were dead. Because if they're taken captive, they're likely not given any rights. And so there could be rape, there could be abuse, there could be anything going on, and you don't know what's happening to your kids and your wives. All of your stuff is burned up, basically. 
And now the people in which you lead that you led to go and likely do fighting somewhere else are blaming you because you asked them to leave to go with you and they're saying, we're going to kill you because you're the one that's responsible for our wives and our children being taken away. This is where David is. It's a tough situation. And out of this tough situation... He writes this psalm. Now, we're not 100% sure, based on commentaries, of whether David is writing this in the situation of the past, verses 1 to 10, or whether he's writing it in the present, of verse 11 to the end. But one thing is for sure, he is distraught. He writes it in another, in another psalm, Psalm 27, verse, verses 4 to 6. The cords of death encompassed me. The torments of destruction assailed me. The cords of Sheol entangled me. The snares of death confronted me. In my distress, I called upon the Lord. To my God, I cried for help. Now, you maybe didn't, don't use these exact words <laughs> that David did, but how about a uh, current equivalent? Have you been in that sort of situation? And it's in this place that David writes, I waited. So first, a word on waiting. The Hebrew word here indicates awaiting. It's awaiting an intervention or the action of someone else. It's waiting for someone or something to act. Why? Because David doesn't know what else to do. What's interesting he is he could in this moment, think about it, he could in this moment say, okay, men, grab your stuff. We're going to get him. He doesn't immediately do that. Because here's the situation of waiting that many of us can identify with and some of us have yet to identify with. It's that in sometimes when you wait, you can have the answer, but it doesn't change how you feel. David, David could go and do something, right? But it's not still going to change the fact that his city is burned down. I remember hearing Rick Warren, who's a pastor in the United States, whose son uh, committed suicide. And on his first Sunday back, he said, you know what the interesting thing about grieving is, is we all ask the question of why did our son do this? But he said, even if we'd known the why, we still would have needed to grieve. We still would have heard the pain. And when you get far enough into a situation of waiting and far enough into the pain, you're still left with the situation. You're still left with the reality of maybe you know why you can't have kids. You're still left with the fact of, but God why can't you intercede and do something different? So therefore, waiting is universal, as I've already said. The question is, how do you wait, and who do you wait for? So David continues in verse 1. He says, I waited patiently. Now, I'm going to use an illustration here, and many of us can probably relate. You're in the hospital, you're in Emerge. You know that there is a difference between someone who's waiting patiently and someone who's waiting aggressively. 
right? You know this. You've been there before. I remember uh, one time my brother and I, when we were in high school, we went to Chicopee, and my brother had a fall, and he cracked his collarbone. And so I drove him in our car, uh, which seems really strange. Why can't we get an ambulance there? But anyways, we, I drove him in my car to a hospital. And, and this was the first time, I think, like as a big brother, uh, I probably had done it before as a little kid, because I see Nixon do that with Cade right now. But it was the first time as a big brother that I felt... Aaron is my responsibility, and I need to care for him. And so we're sitting there in the hospital waiting room, and we are waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting. And eventually, you know hospital waiting rooms. You sit in one room, then they take you to another room to then transport you to another room, and maybe then they'll take you to another room. Like, they've got all the sections. And I'm thankful for the hospital system. Please hear me. But this was getting ridiculous at the time. And we are waiting and waiting, and Aaron, my brother's just lying on, like, the bed, and he's like, oh, it hurts so bad. And I'm watching nurses, like, walk back and forth, and I'm like, because what if you just get in here? What are you doing walking back and forth for? Oh, you're going back and forth between each of the various rooms. I get it. If you just had them all in one, you'd be totally fine. But anyways, they're going back and forth. And I'm like, can you please get in here? I was waiting aggressively. So I ask you the question, how do you wait? How's it going in your season of waiting right now? Are you waiting patiently? Are you waiting aggressively? Maybe you're now just waiting angrily. I'm done waiting. So that's the first question. How to wait? And David, in this situation, it seems to be saying, I waited patiently. But how can you possibly wait patiently in a situation like what David is in? And I think the answer is in who you're waiting for. David writes, I waited patiently for the Lord. The reason David is able to intentionally wait and wait with patience is because of the one he is waiting on and the confidence he has in him. David affirms this based on his past experience in verses 2 to 5 of Psalm 40. I'd invite you to turn there. So after he writes, I waited patiently for the Lord, he writes, He drew me up, speaking of the past, from the pit of destruction out of the miry bog. And I'm certain there are people in this room that can relate to that description. He set my feet upon a rock, making my steps secure. He put a new song in my mouth. Some of us need new songs to sing, a song of praise to our God. Many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. Blessed is the man who makes the Lord his trust, who does not turn to the proud, to those who go astray after a lie. Notice what David's looking at here. He's like, there were options around me of where I could have gone, but that would have only led me to a lie. He says, you have multiplied, O Lord, my God, your wondrous deeds and your thoughts toward us. None can compare with you. I will proclaim and tell of them, yet they are more than can be told. And then in other places like Psalm 27, where David writes, the snares of death encompassed me. He writes this in verse 14. I believe that I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. David's confidence and willingness to wait is rooted in his experience of the Lord. He 
So where are you sitting today? Now, as I said earlier, as I introduced the psalm, we have verses 1 to 10, which is a reflection on the past. And then we have verses 11 to the end, which is a reflection on the future. And this is important to notice for a particular reason. And the reason is that many of us believe that if we turn to God, he owes us and therefore ought to fix our circumstances. Right? Like, if David's reflecting on this in the middle, it's like you'd think that, okay, well, God came through. So God's just going to keep coming through. And I turned to you back then, God. So if I turned to you back then, things got better. Why are things bad now? Because I already turned to you. But this is a false reality. And those of us that are followers of Jesus... And those that are not can identify with that in this world, there is trouble, there is brokenness, there is pain. And the scriptures speak to this, that says that we live in a time of the already and the not yet, which means we can experience parts of the kingdom of God, but yet we still await the full bringing in of the kingdom of God. And so we're stuck in this middle time of like God is acting in, in what seems like some ways, and even when he's not acting, he's acting. And then yet we're waiting for another day. But some of us, if we're honest, we're shared a gospel of, well, you know, if you turn to God, everything's going to be better in your life. And let me just challenge that perspective. That's not the way it works. And you might ask the question, well, why would I turn to God then? Because every worldview, is a challenge to every worldview, every worldview needs to deal with the question of suffering and pain and waiting for something. And the Christian worldview at least provides a hope that there is a king, he is still on the throne, he will ultimately be glorified, and he's made a way for you to spend that eternity with him and to understand that there is some purpose in the suffering and in the waiting that is currently happening. If your worldview does not include God, then your suffering is meaningless. In the Christian worldview, we believe that God can make something of the worst of things. And that's the Christian gospel, that we are the worst of things, yet God saves us. Let's go to Jesus. Matthew 14, verses 32 to 42 this is the narrative of Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. Some of us are very familiar with it. We read this. They went to a place called Gethsemane, and Jesus said to his disciples, Sit here while I pray. He took Peter, James, and John along with them, and he began to be deeply distressed and troubled. He speaks, My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. He said to them, stay here and keep watch. Going a little farther, he fell to the ground and prayed that if possible, the hour might pass from him. Abba, Father, he said, everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me, yet not what I will, but you will. Do you see what he's saying? 
He's saying, Father, if there is any other way for the ultimate redemption and restoration for sins to be forgiven of sinful people, let's do it a different way. He's deeply distressed. He's troubled. But yet he says this, yet not what I will, but what you will. Then he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. Simon, he said to Peter, are you asleep? Could you not keep watch for one hour? Watch and pray so that you might not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the body is weak. Once more he went away and prayed the same thing. When he came back, he again found them sleeping because their eyes were heavy. They did not know what to say to him. It's kind of like we would be caught after you've been told something. Returning the third time, he said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? Enough. The hour has come. Look, the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us go. Here comes my betrayer. I want you to notice a few things. One, Jesus knows the cross is what is about to come. He's waiting for the cross. And notice what therefore he says. Father, could you consider another way? Any other way? But then he also says, after three times, notice he comes back three times. Why? Because he's gone away to pray the same thing three times. Jesus submits to the Father's will and waits because Jesus' confidence is in the Father. Therefore, he can face what is ahead of him. So here's, here's what I believe and understand from the scriptures is that the basis of our waiting must be rooted in something or someone that transcends our circumstances. Otherwise, you're stuck in your circumstances without a purpose for your circumstances. So I said, who, who is that for you? Where is your trust? Where's the basis? For some of us, it's ourself. It's I can get myself out of this season. I'm pretty good, pretty smart, pretty strong. I can muster up enough of whatever I need and everything will be fine. I would say to you, I challenge that worldview of a Western lifestyle to say other parts of the world where you really do not have anything. So maybe you look to yourself, maybe you look to others, other people, your community, your relationship. But what happens when the relationship is gone? Then what are you left with? Or what about systems? You trust systems. Maybe it's government. Or what about finances? My finances can get me out of the waiting. Well, see, the problem is that all of these things are temporary as well. Therefore, we need an eternal basis. And that eternal basis is Jesus Christ. It's the story of God. 
creation, fall, redemption, restoration, that God, if he is in the business of redemption, that one day there will be a restoration. And you might not see it on this side of your life, on this side of heaven, but eventually we'll know the reason. Eventually we'll know the purpose of the wait. So the great news of the gospel is that through Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, we have assurance and hope in our waiting. We read in Ephesians 4 that Jesus empathizes with us. He not just sees our weakness in our waiting, he empathizes, he has experienced, he knows it personally. We read that he also, in 2 Corinthians 5 verse 21, that, that he actually trades places with us. That he takes our sin upon his shoulders so that you and I can take his innocence upon ourselves and therefore stand one day before a holy God and be declared innocent. Because some of us are guilty of putting other people in waiting games. So there's no one that is innocent. And then Jesus gives us an eternal hope. Notice what Romans 5, verses 1 to 5 says. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, if I, this is believing the good news of the gospel, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. So it's currently where we stand, we can rejoice because of the hope that we have, which is the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings. What? Knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. So earlier, we're singing, Holy Spirit, fall afresh on me. Notice what it says, because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit. So how do we know God's love for us? The Holy Spirit in us. Which, as you follow the line of thinking, comes from knowing local and current sufferings, which ends up producing character, which helps us understand God better and know his love for us in the midst of our suffering. But the amazing thing here as well is that many of us have heard of the fruit of the Spirit. What is the third fruit of the Spirit? Peace. What is the fourth? Patience. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience. Friends, left to yourself, you cannot know a transcendent patience. And so here we read that the Holy Spirit brings about a patience and a patience in our waiting. 
so that no matter the circumstances that we find ourselves in, we rely, we lean in, we ask the Holy Spirit to fall afresh so that we can be strengthened by his spirit in our seasons of waiting, in our seasons of longing. And he enables us as well in those seasons to speak honestly to him. You're crazy! Where are you? Do something. Have you forgotten about me? So this morning, as we prepare for the bread and the cup, I would ask you to consider some of the waiting of Christ who waited after creation to come to the earth to redeem creation, who waited in his life on this earth to go to the cross and now in his current wait for his return We can wait because Christ waits. We can wait because he knows our needs. He knows our afflictions. So that our response in waiting moments can be, I waited patiently for the Lord. As we take communion today, as we reflect on the blood of Christ, on the body of Christ, I would ask you to do the very challenging thing of submitting whatever it is that you're waiting for into the hands of Jesus. To say, Jesus, I submit this, you can fill in the blank, to you. And I ask by your spirit, that you would enable me to patiently wait. I would ask you to show me what that even looks like because right now I am so confused and broken that I can't see it. And even if you don't show me, enable me to continue to wait patiently for you. Because in this moment, I do not have confidence in my circumstances, but I have confidence in you. So where do you place that confidence? And if you have never placed your confidence in Jesus Christ, I would invite you to do that today. To say, Jesus, I place my confidence in you. And as difficult as it is right now, I believe that you've overcome all of this and that I have hope because of it. And one day I may know the reason, but I need your power. I need your strength right now in whatever it is that you're going through. So ask him, be honest with him. If you do not call yourself or consider yourself a follower of Jesus, we would ask you to just pass uh, the bread and the cup past you. Uh, Our prayer is that you would eventually come to know this Jesus and know his peace and know patience. And that then one day you can share this with us. But for those of us that identify with Jesus, these emblems mean much. 
because we understand it is where we find our hope. So I'm gonna pray and then I'm gonna invite those that are serving the bread and the cup to come forward. And during our last few songs, we wanna invite you to come to the front. You know, we do this every single week and we get a handful of people. So we keep doing it. And we'll keep doing it and keep doing it. But I would ask you to challenge yourself and ask yourself, what is the level of submission that you have right now in your relationship with Jesus? And if you feel like you're not so overflowing, I would invite you to come forward and have someone pray with you or come to the front and kneel as we sing as a way of expressing to God in honesty amongst other people that are in many ways going for the same thing that you are, to say, I need to rely on Jesus. And that's a challenging thing because you're gonna wonder, what is everyone gonna think of me? Well, I'm telling what other people are thinking right now. I'm telling you that you coming forward be a sign of you wanting to submit yourself to Jesus Christ. Something we hope that all of us wanna do. So come forward, do business with God. Ask the Holy Spirit to give you patience. Ask him to give you peace. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you that you are God and that we are not. We thank you that in the midst of our waiting, that the Christian perspective is that we can have hope because we have confidence in the one that is with us in our waiting. So may we rely on you completely, fully. May we bring to the foot of the cross whatever it is that we are waiting for and our unbelief and trust you in it. And as I asked before, now I pray that if there's anyone in this room that does not have assurance or hope in the midst of their waiting, may they find it in you today, Jesus. You're the greatest source because you transcend all circumstance and you have power over all things because there's power in your name, Jesus. So it's with this we pray, amen.